Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, my goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, and instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche, and my guest today is Danielle Laguerre. Danielle is the Assistant Director of Enrollment Communications at the University of Buffalo's Graduate School of Education. Danielle is very thoughtful in her segmentation and outreach, and her development of the Graduate School's multi-channel communication plan contributed to a 22% rise in applications and higher engagement. I also want to credit Danielle with rethinking Comflows with an analogy that we'll get to in a bit that really helped me think differently about the process. I'm sure it will for you as well. So welcome. Thanks for making time to chat today, Danielle. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'm going to start off here with two questions I ask everybody. First up, what's something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? That is such a good question because I have really been thinking about all the things that I've learned over the past year. I feel like for enrollment marketers and communicators, many of us have been trying out every tactic that we can think of this year. I have been doing everything possible to engage with teacher education inquiries. So Mm -hmm. that involves print pieces, emails, alumni profiles, every virtual event possible under the sun, and text messaging campaigns. So all of these communications have historically performed really well and have been effective, especially with texting. This past year, when it comes to our teacher education programs, I'm finding that most of the texting initiatives we're working on, they're not generating the same response that they normally would. And, and when I say that, I mean that typically we would see between a 25 and 40% response rate for our texts Mm -hmm. that we do with these teacher ed texts, we're getting maybe 10%. So it's, it's a dip. I think what I've really learned from reflecting on this is that it's not necessarily a reflection of us doing something wrong. This isn't us doing bad work or, or something wrong with our programs. It's more that there's a bigger issue with people feeling reluctant about going into education right now. Yeah. And if you look in the media, how many times have you seen criticism of teachers over the past year or on social media comments? You know, teachers just don't want to go back into the classroom because they're lazy or, or you know, things like that. It's certainly not all the risk and the danger and the thankless work and the low salary. That couldn't be part of it, right? The low salary and the thankless work is definitely (laughs) part of it. Yeah, it's a tough field to go into, and the pandemic has made it tougher. Mm -hmm. You might not see the outcomes that you've originally envisioned, but that's okay. It's not going to be your year for every program. Yeah, this this has felt like a year that it's a good opportunity to try new things. But, you know, I saw a lot of just throwing the kitchen sink at it because you don't know what's going to work this year. We definitely did that. We have been just in overdrive trying everything possible. And I, I think mm-hmm. we're not unique in that way at all. Yeah. What are some practices you use to brainstorm and bring some new ideas into the work? I suspect there are quite a few this year. Oh, my gosh. I could talk your ear off about this. I have, you know, like 70 different ways that I uh, bring new ideas in or, or different sources of inspiration. I think like a lot of other higher education professionals, I'm a big believer in lifelong learning. 
So uh, I recently decided to go back to school and enroll in a digital communication advanced certificate program. And that's been really helpful because it's gotten me more comfortable with using programs like Adobe Spark or Canva to create more visually attractive content. Um, Of course, I'm not a graphic designer, but it still helps to just be able to put together more exciting visuals. And also it's allowed me to experiment more with podcasts, like what we're doing right now, as well as live streaming events or even just learning more about web development and SEO. And by getting more comfortable with all of those things, it's just kind of given me a new approach for the way we do things, which has been really helpful. Along the same lines, you know, professional development is always great for brainstorming. If anyone who's listening has opportunities, I recently just did an eight-week content marketing course with the direct development agency. And in that, it really opened my eyes to the power of content marketing, how you can generate new leads with eBooks or, or blogs or infographics and gated content. I just finished that up. And if I'm being honest, I just proposed a new project this week for a teacher education eBook. And that never would have come to life without going down that professional development rabbit hole. So mm-hmm. so that's been a great source of inspiration and, and brainstorming. Yeah. And that's that important next step. When you do these professional developments, you're reading articles, you go to a conference, you're actually doing something with that then. And you're taking it back and proposing something, right? Absolutely. And really, I mean, it's been so tough with conferences this past year to still be able to get in that professional development time in one way or another was really awesome. But beyond just like your traditional coursework, I get inspiration from a lot of really random places too. I have physical boxes of mailings that every company has sent me from HelloFresh to Independent Health. Like we're all over the place with what lives in this box. But looking at those types of communications, as well as emails, I save a lot of emails and they're not just from colleges, right? Like I certainly fill out inquiry forms for other schools that I admire. And I like to look and see what people are doing to spark my own inspiration. But I also look at, you know, brands like Sephora or Anthropology, which really aren't relevant to what we're doing at all, but to look at how they're forming their emails, they're structuring their emails, the visual elements, the language they're using. I think that you can really find inspiration anywhere. Mm -hmm. And looking at those communications has been great for me. So we've been doing more Ask Me Anything, live streaming events, you know, fireside chats, which maybe aren't Mm -hmm. as exciting now as they were a year ago, but they still felt cool then. More screen side than fireside now. <laughs> right. We need to update our language and, and yeah. become screen side. But those kinds of ideas sometimes come from brands outside of, of the higher education industry. I am definitely an advocate for the tangents. What are the related ideas that can be applied? You know, if you're working K-12, learn from higher ed. If you're in higher ed, learn from K-12. But then more importantly, Look for the outside brands, not just the hip ones, the cool ones, but look for these other things. A great example, when I got my audio equipment, they had a person supporting you along the way and the buying process and how to use it. 
But then after it was delivered, they had an email series of how to get the most out of your audio, how to do uh, editing, things like that. And think about it. Think about the number of times where someone would buy something and then not know how to use it and then complain because they think, well, obviously the problem is in the equipment. In that same way, think about how do we integrate people into our community? How do we make sure that they know how to find the resources, how to advocate for themselves, how to connect with our community before they ever step foot in the door? So think about this onboarding process and what that flow looks like for you. Mm -hmm. And one last thing I'll say to answer this question. I get the best ideas from talking to students and alumni. That is something I did not do early enough in my role at GSE. When you're just having a conversation with a student, you're going to learn things about the program that you would never know otherwise. And it's those Mm -hmm. authentic stories or experiences that have allowed me to go back and infuse the comm flows that we already developed with really interesting I hate to say testimonials, but I guess testimonials, quotations, tidbits that really make everything, I think, just so much more interesting and speak to to the uniqueness of your institution, too. It's the people that make your your college or university unique. It's it's not, you know, the rock wall or the smoothie stand. People want proof points. Yeah. You know, they want they want reviews they want and whether that's you're gathering them yourself or going to outside sites and pulling them. I mean, that's something that that's a big part of what niche is. And that's why people come there is their reviews and outside information. But if you can pull those yourself and then supplement them with niche reviews, with Facebook reviews, with Google reviews, you're just telling your story in a lot of ways. I have to start supplementing with niche reviews for sure. Great idea. Yeah. yeah that was something I, I used on some Comflows back in the day and it worked really well because it wasn't us talking about ourselves. It was unsolicited people on another site sharing their story it wasn't us asking for and i think people responded to that absolutely i actually saw a really great review on niche for graduate school of education where i work so thanks for that idea yep something to test well one of the things i I alluded to in the intro we presented together in a slate webinar last year talked about communications in terms of dating and that was such a fun way of framing it. it was a great way of framing it Could you share what you mean by that and kind of walk through what what it looks like and how you think about things at each stage? Definitely. And thank you. Um, I'm glad that, you know, a year later you're still (laughs) you're still thinking about it. I'm flattered. And that was such Mm -hmm. a fun webinar to work on together. You know, I'll be honest, I haven't been on a date in a long time. I'm married. (laughs) The dating world is is different. (laughs) But what I do remember is kind of giving myself a pep talk before every date of how I wanted to present myself. I think about a lot of the same things when I'm writing communications for the Graduate School of Education at the University at Buffalo. And some of these things are, you know, you want to talk about yourself, but not too much. You need to ask questions and engage with the other person and and show how interested you are. You know, of course, if you are actually interested, you also need to be mindful that timing is everything. For example, no one wants to receive 39 text messages in one night or 15 emails within two days. Um, It's important to think about that stuff when you're first getting to know someone. 
And beyond that, I think being a good listener is just essential. You know, you have to remember what the other person has told you and use that information. Plus, you have to be visually attractive as much as, you know, I don't want to change out of my pajamas these days. (laughs) (laughs) It's important to be at least somewhat put together. And finally, you have to show what makes you different and, and have a good personality. So these are all things that I kind of have in the back of my mind if I'm writing an email or I'm, I'm helping to develop a marketing piece. It's important to show that you're excited about your prospective students and that you want to mm-hmm. get to know them and engage with them. But also, as you had said last year in the webinar, you know, you don't want to propose to them on the very first date. For our purposes, you don't want to encourage a student that you're just meeting, that you're just getting to know to apply in in your very first um, encounter or email. So save that apply now button for later in your comm flows. You just need to provide relevant information wherever you can on a student's journey and really be willing to engage in conversations when they are. So if you're saying, please feel free to reach out to us with any questions or concerns, you know, make sure someone is on the other end of that line to really be ready to have that conversation. I know what you mean there. I have not been on a date in over 14 years. And it's, (laughs) I I think that same metaphor though, the kind of works that I haven't been a high school student. If I'm recruiting undergrads, I haven't been a high school student even longer. If I'm recruiting grad students, you know, it's been 14 years since I was in college. That's a long time to be out. If you're working with grad students, you have to think about that the same way, right? You are not at their stage. And maybe that gets back to what you were just saying about talking to students, learn what they need to know. It's so true. You know, it's not necessarily our fault, but I think we get very used to selling the university, knowing the key points, knowing your differentiators, and kind of relying on marketing speak to some degree. Mm -hmm. And when you have those conversations, it's so helpful For instance, I was just talking with a student that we're going to have do an Instagram takeover. And Mm -hmm. she was like, Danielle, why did you not market that you can do an internship at Fisher Price in this program? Thankfully, she ended up with us anyways, but she was like, I would have only applied to your school and I would have told all my friends and I paused and and then walked away from that conversation and really wondered, why are we not highlighting this? This is such mm-hmm. a cool feature, but we lose sight of these things. I think it's that same idea. You know, you, when it's you every day, you know, something that might not seem cool to you might seem really, really awesome to someone else. Totally. We are not all the students. You know, highlighting too, you talked about being visually attractive, being put together. How do you kind of balance that with not trying to hide everything? Because just like with dating, you know, eventually it's going to come out. You know, you can't can't hide all your flaws forever. It's true. I think it's important with that in mind, too, to be upfront about who you are and whether or not this will authentically be a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. You know, as you get deeper into those conversations and you continue on with with your marketing campaigns or your comm flows, try and be transparent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how are you talking to prospects differently than inquiries? You have some fuzziness there on the grad school side because someone might know Buffalo, but they have no idea anything about the graduate program. Absolutely. And that's a good point. There is fuzziness, especially locally. I think, like you said, 
if you live in Buffalo, you know about UB. UB is a huge school. But I think that it is unclear with the Graduate School of Education. Is it its own thing? Is it part of the larger graduate school? Is it the larger graduate school? It's confusing. For us, regardless of who the prospect is, where they live, I typically just try and provide an introduction. Like that's my main goal to get people who we identify as potentially being a good fit to just get to know us a little bit better. And I usually like to do that with a series of, I would say, three to four messages without talking too much about ourselves, but stating who we are, what you can do here, helping students envision themselves at our institution. After that message, I usually like to follow up with another message about the application is open or these programs are still accepting applications, and then perhaps a third message advertising any events that make sense to invite prospects to, where students can continue learning perhaps an open house, a GSE programs overview webinar or anything along those lines, basically anything that's going to provide value to these students as they're continuing their graduate school exploration. And and sticking with prospects before we jump into inquiries, Mm -hmm. are there steps in there? Are there places in that messaging where they can reach out and and provide additional information, essentially inquire, you know, connect one-on-one and and start building that, that affinity and relationship? That's such a good point. Certainly, we provide calls to action in every message that I'm sending out to the prospect population, making it very clear, you know, request more information by clicking this button or whatever language you you, mm-hmm. you choose to use. And I do like to include the option to schedule a virtual visit as well. And that helps us collect those inquiries and to get that more in-depth information and and then Mm -hmm. get those people into our inquiry comm flows. With inquiry communications, they're just the best. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think anyone working in higher ed can appreciate when someone just actively gives you their information and you don't really have to do much to obtain it. It's it's just a gift. And also what's great is that you probably have more information from your inquiry form than you do from whatever prospect list you have. And that makes it a lot easier to build out segmented, personalized communication flows. So for instance, you know, I always believe in in really any inquiry comm flow that it's important to inform these people about financial aid or or programs or faculty and, and visits. But I can also make it more specific if that person's planning on being an online student only or if they currently live in another country, you can really just kind of dig a little bit deeper. Also, what's cool, I think, with communicating with inquiries is that you don't have to, or at least I don't, rely only on email. I think that at this stage in the game, you know that someone is sincerely interested in your program, so you can dedicate more time and resources if you have them, doing phone calls, text messages, print pieces. For me, it was important to really create a comprehensive, multi-channel approach to my inquiry conflow at GSE. With our introductory like first email that students are getting, 
I do have different versions for international students, for online students, and then whoever else is not in those groups. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, then there's a second program email, and there's a different email for every single program. Mm -hmm. And that email is sent, you know, I'm doing air quotes right now, from the faculty. Of course, I worked with the faculty members to Mm -hmm. create that content and to program everything, but students don't know that. So Mm -hmm. it looks like they're getting a real email from a faculty member from their program of interest. That's something that I would definitely recommend spending your time on. Trust me, I feel you. I know how hard it is to create and maintain and program and, and do all of that work. But those are some of the most impactful messages that we have. I suspect over time you, you've slowly added to it. And I think that's the thing that people can get really stressed about. You know, they yeah. want to do all this segmentation, all this personalization. But if it's one person trying to do all that and that's not your entire job either, mm. you have to do it incrementally. Is that is that how you've been working? Preach, Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to do it incrementally. Mm-hmm. It will be three years in July that I've been in this job, and I am mm-hmm. still building out the freaking convos. <laughs> you know, when I first started, my job was new. I should mention mm-hmm. it had just been developed. There was no communications plan before I came in. And so I prioritized creating inquiry communications. That was kind of where I wanted to begin and and what my director at the time, he agreed with me on that. So I built all of that out. Um, It took quite a while, to be perfectly honest. It really did. It took months. And then after that, I started diving into messaging for students who had started an application but not yet submitted it and then accepted student messaging, and then eventually confirmed student messaging. Mm -hmm. Now, my project for the summer is going back and improving the accepted student messaging because Mm -hmm. there's, again, nothing really wrong with it. But now, after so many years, I see where I can make it better. And that goes back to um, infusing more stories. Mm -hmm maybe getting some more embedded video content in there, and definitely segmenting more. I would love to program an advisor message that's been specifically created for every accepted student based on program as well. And that's a perfect segue. How are you evaluating the effectiveness of emails just beyond open rates? Certainly open rates are important. If no one is opening your email, then the message is lost, but there's so much more there. Click rates are, of course, very important, too. I pay more attention generally to click rates than I do open rates. If you think about event registration, for instance, if someone has opened your email, they see the event, they register for the event. Even if your open rate isn't great, but you get 20 people there and then half of them apply for the program, I consider that to be an effective email. Recently, an example of this would be our fireside, or I guess I should have said screenside chat for teacher education. And honestly, we sent that email blast, several email blasts about this to all different populations. And I really hoped for a bigger group, but I think we got around 20 or 30 students to attend that event. Many of them have continued conversing with us since that event. Some have submitted applications. So 
even though the open rate or, or the click rate was maybe not as great as we had hoped for, these initiatives, these emails are still successful in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Along the same vein, I have to think about response rates. If we're sending something out and a bunch of students are responding to it and asking meaningful questions, then that's effective too in its own way. I always think about in terms of the extreme of if you had 100% open and 100% click through and nobody signs up or no one takes that conversion action, that next step, you know, that's a failed email, even though on paper it might look like a huge success. <laughs> we have had some emails where I came up with like a really catchy subject line and then mm-hmm. no one did anything with it. And and that was <laughs> not the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it's almost better if you have high click and low open because you can test subject lines pretty easily. Exactly. One thing that I've really um, enjoyed doing over the past year or so is going through different phases of our communications plan and seeing what just adding someone's name would do or an emoji would do, switching maybe the pre-header text with the subject line to see if that makes a difference. And it's really fascinating. With some of these qualitative measures you mentioned, How are you keeping track of that? Because the qualitative can always be really hard. It adds great context, but it's hard to keep track of as well. Yeah, it's such a good point. We're able to kind of keep track of that interaction on student timelines. And then we're able to query based on any data point. So Mm -hmm. that certainly helps in terms of keeping track and really knowing what emails are are getting those response rates and, and what aren't. What are some ways that leaders and professionals can really prepare for the re-engagement of prospects and inquiries? You know, maybe they don't take that first step or they get partway through and just stop. One thing that I've learned this past year, and and this is going to be kind of a more general answer, so bear with me, but Mm -hmm. I promise I'll get into the tactical stuff. I think generally speaking, leaders and professionals can prepare to re-engage by approaching student conversations as if they were having a conversation with a friend or family member. Again, I think this is something that sounds obvious, but it's really easy to just get into the habit of being dry and transactional in our communications. And we don't have to do that. You know, we can show personality and and Mm -hmm. have fun in the right ways and, and be kind and emotional when it comes to finding the right spaces anyways. I think showing empathy is absolutely critical and has been helpful to us over the past year in terms of hitting enrollment targets. On a more tactical level, approaching enrollment communications from the mindset of relationship building is really important. And you can do that through texting. Now, I mentioned it before as maybe not being so successful with our teacher education programs this past year, but that's kind of been the exception. So in most cases, texting, we see a great response rate, and it can be so simple just typing out, if you use Slate or whatever program, typing a mass text that basically just says, hey, how are you doing? You know, I wanted to check in. Do you have questions about X program? Mm -hmm. And that's it. And we get so many responses to messages like that. And people are usually so grateful and appreciative that we've reached out. 
what's nice too is that you can do this at all phases of the applicant journey. Today, I just texted 80 people to remind them of their enrollment confirmation deadline on April 15th and asked if they had questions. And we saw a great response from doing that as well. So in terms of re-engaging, that's just one of the easiest strategies, in my opinion. With the missing documents too, that's one that is too often very, it feels clinical. Yeah. You might just get something that says, you're missing pieces or right. you need these items. But who would actually have that? Do you Would you want someone just saying that to you? Or would you rather say, hey, we noticed you have these. Have you requested them? Do you need help? Do you understand what these are? Yeah, and throw a freaking smile face in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's yeah. okay. So I, I definitely agree that, you know, trying not to sound like a robot mm -hmm. is a good idea. I think the main thing with texting is just making it clear that you want to help, making it clear that you have a student's best interest in mind and that you're there to support them. But then the second part of my answer in terms of preparing people to re-engage, don't forget the power of print marketing. I think this year especially, and we're included in this, a lot of colleges and universities have stopped doing print completely. And you know what? I get that. Like, we are not sending out view books anymore. We're all still working remotely for the most part. And it was just too hard to coordinate. But one thing that we did do recently was we sent a very simple letter, a very simple, straightforward letter to anyone who had inquired or started an application for one of our uh, master's programs. Mm -hmm. And it encouraged students to apply. And he also kind of explained, you know, applying to graduate school might be the last thing on your mind right now. You know, you might be scared, you might be stressed, but I want you to know that I see the spark within you. And I know that, you know, this could be a big step for you and I am here to help you. Mm -hmm. And really he he offered up his own phone number, his own email address. And as a result of sending something like that, which was so empathetic and so sincere, he's met with, I think, 30 students over the past couple weeks. Um, wow. The response rate from doing that has been insane. Yeah. So don't forget about print. You touched on it a few times and just the sense of empathy. Mm -hmm. How are you building that? How are you making that personal connection? And, you know, I, I assume that you're not doing that with a personalized phone call or personalized text to every single student. Okay, so two things. The first thing is we do try and call every single person who has inquired that has given their phone number. You know, more often than not, I believe that most people do not answer their phone because you don't, mm -hmm. who answers their phone when you don't know the number that's calling you, right? That's crazy. But no, all, the, all the spam calls have taught me not to. <laughs> right. I don't. But but I think getting that voicemail from a real person and we get calls back from those messages. So so you mm -hmm. can be a real human first and foremost. But in an automated world, again, going back to speaking the same way that you would to a friend, you know, it's great to hear from you. How are you? I love this because I think that you have to think about the way you're communicating, whether that's an email or a text message or a postcard or social media, a digital ad. You have to think of everything as a dialogue, 
not a monologue. If it sounds like you're just standing on a street corner yelling into a microphone, you've done it wrong because that's not engaging. It has to be something that feels conversational. I know these are super simple things, but I think that we just are all so busy and Mm -hmm. juggling so many different things that it's easy to respond to an email or to a text message with one sentence, you know, not thanking someone, not giving a proper greeting, things like that. And those little things go a long way, especially when it comes to investing in a graduate program. You know, a graduate program for someone might be a luxury and not a necessity. So if you're not willing to come to that person and acknowledge that they're making a life-altering decision by applying Mm -hmm. to your program and understanding that and always being mindful of that, then I think you're, you're missing it, right? Like we, we have to be mindful of those things and, and we have to write that way too. So you look at what you just wrote and it sounds like a robot or your bank or, (laughs) or, you know, it sounds like that kind of message. Then maybe think again about how you can add one nice sentence into your email. That is a great way to go out. I uh, just, just want to say thank you, Danielle. This was this was fantastic. I hope people will take these and, and give a critical eye to their own work and find empathy and find personalization and, and ways to make a connection. Thank you for having me. It's been fun yeah. as always. Good. And if people want to follow up and they have a, just a question about something you said or they say, hey, this is someone I want to I talk to and pick their brain, what are some ways people might reach out? Where can they find you? I welcome LinkedIn connections always, and my contact information is on the University at Buffalo Graduate School of Education website. Great. Well, thank you again, Danielle, and and have a great rest of your day, and I, I hope you stay safe. Thank you. Same to you. 